any eggs now leave the building. <laughs> That's going on the beginning of this week's episode. <laughs> Three, two, one. Aboard a compact starship, two lone podcasters experience cosmic forces beyond all comprehension. Yes, this is the film file, the film show for film geeks by film geeks. So I was about to do the theme tune. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the film file. Yes, it's us. I'm Lee Ford. And I'm Andy Meakin. So, Andy, still in the hotel room. (laughs) (laughs) Final time. You've become the prisoner. You're not uh, a number anymore. I've not had to send out that message saying, you know, I'm looking forward to Venom 3 to get people people to rescue me from here. So I I am here. (laughs) That's all it takes. It it, it is my own choice to be down here. It's not against my will. Uh, But yeah, it's my last few days and... I've literally, by the time this show airs, I'll be back in Sheffield. Uh, but the next few days are going to be really it's like time hard travel, for me. isn't it? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it casts my mind back when I listen back to the show when it goes live. Uh, but it's the next couple of shifts are just going to be so hard to do. I've already like marked out when I'm working last with each of the members of the team. And it's going to be a tearful farewell to them all. Uh, I need to give a big shout out to all the team that I've worked with down here for the past three months. Uh, work very closely with people like Brad, Yanis, Ruth, Kieran, Libby, Kim, Rachel, Scott, Jade, another Jade. Seriously, I could sit here listing the whole team. That's just the management level that I've listed off there. But all the members of the cinema team are my team. They're my guys. I was there on day one for them and have trained them up. And they're all like saying, no, can't we keep you? Can't we keep you? And it's just making it harder and harder for me to leave. It's a bit like the Suicide Squad, isn't it? In, in many ways. Yeah, <laughs> they are your Suicide Squad. Does that make you Rick Flag or Amanda Waller? I don't know. Uh, I think I think Amanda Waller. I'll be Amanda Waller. Okay. Um, I need to give a special shout out to Emmett. I know he listens to the show. He loves when he's listen- when he's listening back to the show to send me ramble rambling garbled messages through WhatsApp. Like as he's enjoying it, he absolutely loved our intro last week. Our chat about things he loves this bit of the show this this is why we started doing this bit of the show it is because this little personal journey thing where we just laugh and joke and talk about anything that's happened it it makes us personable and you know emmett whether you're going to be sat in your bath listening to me this week or actually you know fully clothed i don't care uh, but thank you for um not only being a fan of the show but this guy's an absolute legend i mean the guy knows everything about coffee and when he's been at sight, okay. he, he, will, he will teach everyone about anything to do with coffee. He always brings positive energy wherever he goes. And he also takes every opportunity when he introduces me to different people to mention, and he does a great podcast. You should listen to it. He sounds like he's doing the Lord's work. He's a big supporter of the show. Absolutely love him. I mean, he's, he's only been here supporting as well. He's been like covering from his own site, coming down to here, like from time to time. And... Yeah, it, it's great to work alongside him, and hopefully he'll be uh, requesting my support in any of his future ventures because I can't <laughs> wait to work alongside Emmett again. Emmett, we dedicate this week's show to you and the Banbury team. This is this week's dedication. We, I, I think we did one dedication once before, so yep. you're in you're in good company. Yeah. So yeah, episode one three two is for you. <laughs> I, I knew the Banbury guys. I'd hoped I'd get to meet you all, but but circumstances just didn't kind of work out. One day we will meet. <laughs> now I'm I'm going to try to avoid belching this week. Okay, because last week, 
last week, folks. What can I say? It was it was Adventures in the Windy City. Anyone who stuck around at the end credit after the end credit sting of the show will have heard a couple of my belchy outtakes uh, that I put in because I was. This should have been so a warning. There should have been a warning, and uh, and you get to hear us rant as well. I didn't make it to the end of the show last week because it's just I say it's been crazy my last week, uh, but. Um, yeah, did, you left our rant in, didn't you? Yeah, I, I, it, it kind of slowed down the main show. It would have just broken the show, but there was a nice point at which it could just cut the initial conversation so it didn't feel that we'd gone on a bit too much. And then I just thought that because we did like cover quite a lot in it, it was just nice to put it on at the end. And I think it's a good use of like after the end after sting. The credit sting. If there's anything that we just go off on tangents on and we realise, you know what, this slows it down for the general people. You don't have to listen to it, but the big fans of the show will, you know, no doubt want to hear us have our soapbox rants or just talk nonsense or be a bit silly at times. Yes. <laughs> have you not listened to some of the previous shows? Uh, but today I'm I'm very tired today. I did a 14 hour shift yesterday, which is why I'm drinking Monster Energy drink. Oh, my goodness. I can't I can't stand the stuff. I can't abide it. I don't normally drink it. But this morning uh, you tried to message me and call me. I did. I've got to be honest. It was a book call. Uh, <laughs> thank you. It was it was a book call, and, and I uh, uh, I didn't realise. Uh, my other half said, uh, "Do you know you're calling somebody?" And looked at me. It was Andy. He's like, "Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry." Uh, but yeah, I was I, I was quite tired, so I'm still recovering. But I've had something to eat, has been and I'm getting the energy week. levels back. And then I'm back at work later this evening. But yeah. yeah, it's been a crazy week. And then when we get back to Sheffield, it's a crazy weekend. Well, term starts for me. Uh, next week, doing enrolments this week, uh, back into work after after the holiday break, and even though I've been working at home, but just getting back into and doing that drive, which is you know nearly an hour's drive every day, uh, then another hour back. It was just uh, yeah, it was it was difficult to get myself back into that headspace, but I'm I'm now back in it, and this week with the with the start of term, been picking the movies I'm going to be teaching. Yeah, so yeah, interesting. Also mentioned that like next weekend is when in Sheffield there'll be the Oxide Ghosts Brass Eye Tape screening with the Q and A. Yeah, at, uh, the lights in the Sheffield. Sheffield. Now the Oxide Ghost screenings are happening all across the country. There's uh, Picture House Cinemas are doing them, Light Cinemas are doing them, and a few other independents are doing them. If you're a fan of Brass Eye, and come on, who isn't? Who uh, these are live Q and As with a documentary of Oxide Ghost, which is behind-the-scenes making of footage that Michael Cummings put together. And it's a chance to, you know, go and ask Michael Cummings about his work, not only on Brass Eye, but maybe on Toast of London or any of the other stuff that he's worked on. And also see this exclusive content that you won't see elsewhere because it's never going to get released on any other format due to licensing and rights issues. He's got permission to show these things, but the rights holders won't let him release it as a normal thing. So it's only at special screenings every couple of years that Michael Cummins goes around and tours. So don't miss the opportunity. Go along and see one of them wherever you are in the country. Find your nearest independent cinema or small chain who are doing them and go and see them. And if you're in the Sheffield area, it's this coming Sunday. And um, Lee will be uh, coming up with some great questions, I hope. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The pressure is now on. It's going to be an odd one because I've got a gig the night before. (laughs) <laughs> out of town so i'll be coming i'll be i've probably still got makeup on bleary eyed so Al- alice cooper is going to be interviewing michael cummins <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, 
So, now, um, what a weekend I'm, if you're in I'm the Leicester the area. I'm going to bring the camcorder and record that. That's going to be hilarious. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'll obviously be thinking of some questions to throw at myself, and I might plant myself in the audience. The, okay. You know, so when it goes to let's ask the audience, if everyone stays quiet, I can randomly throw a question out just to start right. the ball rolling. <laughs> That's the way it's done. Uh, but screening should be great. Introduce uh, Michael Cummins introduces it. The one-hour documentary runs, and then there's the live Q and A with the director there. So get yourself along there. Pick up the tickets now. Well worth seeing. Okay. Yeah, it's going to be and fun. That's next Sunday, the fourth uh, at the Light Cinema in Sheffield. If you want to come and see it with us, and Andy will probably, knowing Andy's diligence, will pop up links to wherever else around the country that you can uh, uh, come along. But let's talk about this week's show. On this week's show, what do we have for you? Well, of course, other than our ramblings and muses about the world of film and everything else, you'll get to hear a deep dive into Constantine, starring Keanu Reeves, an adaptation of DC's or Vertigo's Hellblazer series. Andy's going to be looking into this week as he reviews dog that appeared on streaming this week didn't get a chance to see it when it had his limited cinema release was looking forward to this where is Anne frank that is on a release across the uk at cinemas at the moment and a film that is the clear definition of straight to streaming office invasion our neat things and much much more because this is the film file and this section we like to call the news <laughs> So, as ever, before we get into the news, let's have a look at this week's box office. And we know that in the UK, and I'm assuming in the US as well, we're in a bit of a drought period. Not much happening. So, what are the figures going to look like this week? So, expectations were low this weekend. And in the US, there was a $52 million overall gross at the box office, which was still a huge disappointment. Um, the Invitation came in in the top spot with $6.8 million. Uh, Bullet Train into second place with $5.6 million. Beast, $4.9 million, taking third place. Top Gun Maverick still steadily holding into that f- top five with $4.7 million. And Dragon Ball Super Superhero with $4.7 million. A very lacklustre weekend in the US this week. And it's pretty much more of the same over in the UK. No film this past weekend took over a million in the UK. And it was actually not a film, but a concert. Andre Ryu's 2022 summer concert took first place with 798,000. Beast took second place, taking another 600,000. DC League of Super Pets, 598,000. Bullet Train, 593,000. And Nope in fifth place with 576,000. We're going to see a lot of this in the coming weeks because, like we've said, there's not a lot of great content due for at least the next month. Still waiting for the box office to pick up, but we still have some news, even in this drought fallow period. Uh, Last week, we talked about Cineworld. Any developments on that one? I've been all over the radio this week, basically echoing what we've been talking about. Uh, The only update was that Cineworld confirmed after the weekend that, yes, they are considering and seeking advice on going into administration in both the US and the UK. Nothing's moved forward since then. Uh, share, price ha- share price hasn't really moved much in either direction since then. Well, but it, it, can't really. Really move. 
it can't really move much lower. Yeah, it, it's still in limbo, but it's basically that they're in that process now where they're, they're seeking what it would mean, what it would cost, what all this would happen. So it's going to be another few days before the decision's made as to whether they do enter administration. It's looking very likely. Uh, there is a lot of uh, online chatter from, you know, you've got your regular cinema goers with their unlimited cards who are now getting concerned as to whether or not they should keep their cards because the, particularly the people who paid like a year in advance. If yeah. you've literally just, if you've just paid a year in advance, you might end up losing 11 months of that if they go into administration because sorry to say, you're next to bottom on the list for when the debt consolidation teams work out who gets paid back what. You're basically, when, when you'd sign up to a scheme, you are an investor in the company. So you are now considered alongside the shareholders in that you are not a priority to repay. We don't know. We can only speculate at this point in time. So let's just wait until there's some confirmed news. They might avoid it. They might manage to get more refinancing. I'm not sure that's going to be the best option because it's not worked out for them in the past. But it remains to be seen. They might get a corporate buyout. We don't know. Okay, let's try and find something a bit more positive then. Well, it was one of my neat things only two weeks ago. And one thing I mentioned that I loved about it was the immersive and dark story. And finally, the long gestating adaptation of the Bioshock game is moving forward. Netflix have uh, given it the green light. And the director, and this ties in nicely to this week, of Constantine, I Am Legend and Red Sparrow, Francis Lawrence, has come on board and Michael Green, who um, penned Blade Runner 2049 and Logan, is adapting the script for the live-action film of what I consider one of the best game series ever. Let's just stay in game territory. I mentioned last week that Days Gone uh, was being picked up as a movie. Anyway, pretty exciting for us Last of Us fans is that the first footage appeared in a HBO reel, and it looks great. It looks yeah, great. It looks really I, good, nothing it? much in it apart from, uh, apart from the scale and the scope of how uh, uh, how this series is going to look. I just can't wait. Can't wait to see a, a proper trailer. But can't wait for this series. I know it's announced for next year. It it, it can't come soon enough for me. I'm so waiting for it to drop. Um, I'm looking forward to exploring that world because again, The Last of Us is another one of those games that it's the immersive story and you know the character growth within it that makes it work so well it's so cinematic and it's so yeah. perfect to ad adapt i think game to film adaptations have gotten better over the years yeah. you've now realized they don't have to change it and move away from it they can usually just keep the stories because like let's throw our mind back to like things like max Payne, where max Payne, the game has a great story so what did they do when they adapted it they wrote a completely different story it's like what are you doing the film was there in game form for you all you had to do was adapt that they're getting more savvy with realising that, you know, gaming audiences would like it to be more faithful. And the reason they want it to be more faithful is the stories are already good. So yeah, don't, I mean, they are cinematic don't change what stories. Works. Yeah, we're, we're living in an age where a game is you in interactive cinema. So why change the story? Looking forward to um, seeing what we get from Last of Us. And like I say, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, the world of Rapture in Bioshock when that gets adapted. Fingers crossed, Netflix pull this one off. Anything else? Straight off the back of Top Gun Maverick and Spiderhead, Miles Teller is reportedly in final negotiations to star in Scott Derrickson's event film, The Gorge, at Skydance. Derrickson recently gave us Black Phone, which I had a lot of 
fun with. Very simple story, maybe meandered a bit at times, but it was great atmosphere. And uh, this new film, The Gorge, is adapted from The Tomorrow War, a spec script by scribe Zach Dean. And it's described as a high-action, genre-bending love story. Plot specifics completely under wraps, but Derrickson, Dean, David Ellison, Donna Goldberg, Don Granger, C. Robert Cargill, Cheryl Clark, Adam Cronenberg, and Greg Goodman are all on board to produce. I'm there day one for anything that Derrickson does. I've got a lot of love for Derrickson's style and approach to things. And yes, he does meander and he does go off on tangents, but don't we all? Yeah. Well, <laughs> hey, you listen to the show. And sticking with uh, Top Top Gun. Okay. Uh, Top Gun Maverick and Scream Queen star Glenn Powell has just shut down the rumours that he's going to be playing Cyclops. Now, these rumours have been circulating that the X-Men are coming into the universe, even though we've said quite clearly multiple times on this show that Marvel won't be bringing any X-Men into the universe until all the rights to the characters from the like with the Fox actors have expired next year. But that doesn't stop people saying, Glenn Powell's being cast as Cyclops. Well, he's turned around and basically told them, told everyone, no. <laughs> uh, in particularly Variety, that, no, it's all nonsense. According to the actor, he doesn't have any information to contact Marvel, even if he wanted to. In his words, before Comic-Con, everybody was like, dude, are you Cyclops? No, I'm not. Nobody's called me. I don't even want to have one contact info for Marvel, so I have no idea what people are talking about. Fan casting, isn't it? It's basically just fan casting. At the same time, I need to just quickly remind people of how Benedict Cumberbatch reacted when the rumours of him playing Doctor Strange were that he'd never spoken to anyone and he wouldn't know who to contact if he needed to play it. And uh, basically every actor who's ever been cast in a Marvel film has always recited this exact same script. So <laughs> I'm now starting to think that maybe the start in the ball rolling, knowing that the contracts with the original cast expire next year, that there might be a nugget, a nugget of info in here, but it's only a nugget of speculation at the moment. Until it's official, don't start saying these people are cast. The mutants will come into the X-Universe. We've already been hinted at with Ms. Marvel, but it's going to be at least the middle of next year before we start to see the names of who's actually going to be playing these roles, particularly roles of mutants who have already been represented in the past. So talking of, of comic books, I know we've got a, a, a couple of exclusive to talk about, but it has been rumoured this week that DC has finally found their Kevin. Yep. Apparently, they found their Kevin Feige. Will this be Dan Lin? It will be Dan Lin, yeah. The Warner Brothers, former Warner's Pictures executive and veteran producer. Uh, yes, he's reportedly one of the names that's in the mix for that top spot of running the DC universe, the equivalent of the great Feige. Lin has been a franchise producer on things such as It, Sherlock Holmes, the Lego franchise, and he was a protege of Alan Horn. Um, other names are being discussed, but no offers are out there at the moment. Uh, there's a, apparently there's a few, according to Variety, there's a few hurdles that get in the way of any deal moving forward with Lynn at the moment. The biggest one is he's got his own production company, Rideback, which has ties to other studios. If he if he runs DC, he has to sever all those ties. So this is all going to be down to how it financially impacts him as to whether he accepts this position. But I'd like to think that this is a step in the right direction for yeah. Warners. I'd like to think that they're getting it into gear and they're going to have the head screwed on. But I just still worry that Lynn will get this position and then there'll be one failed film that doesn't perform at the box office how they expect and he'll get sidelined again. Because they've got a history of doing this. And until they prove that they're going to show confidence in having someone spearheading 
their DC properties for a sustained period. Let there be failures, let there be flops, but let the big films counteract it. It needs to be like at least five years of someone in this role for them to prove it. What we don't want is that he has one good one. First film comes out with his name attached to it. It does well. Second film comes out, stutters, and then it's like, get out. And then it, it yeah. all changes again. It's a mess at Warner's at the moment. We know it's a mess at Warner's. Uh, we're, we're reporting every week on the mess at Warner's. But maybe this is a step in the right direction. With regards to the mess at Warner's, there's a new article that suggested that the Batgirl film is going to have funeral screenings, which has which caused is a, a an awful way to describe huge it. Huge backlash. Uh, yeah, apparently members of the cast, crew, executives, and everyone who's connected to the film will reportedly get to see what was made of the film's footage before it gets banished forever, and so are saying has to be destroyed. Because I, it, I've heard that. I was about to, to counter with the fact that it may be because of the uh, of the deal they did about it, that, um, writing off as a tax loss yes. that the film cannot ever be seen to make any kind of a profit. So therefore, would be destroyed. Yeah, if if they write it off for the tax loss, tax loss, and then five years later decide, here you go, guys, we're going to release it for you, and they make something off it, then it's tax fraud. Yes. So it needs to be destroyed. Now this is sad. Uh, you know, the, the reaction from some of the cast and crew who were involved in the project is basically is like, wow, we we don't want to see this film that we worked on just for you to destroy it afterwards. Yeah. It's it's quite horrific. The everyman out there might just go, oh, well, what's the fuss? It's only a film. It's not like, you know, people are dying. It's like the people spent years of their lives working on this. They are connected to this. This is yeah. huge. It's a loss of... It's unprecedented. You know, it, I mean, there have been other films which have which have uh, uh, still not been released. There are films which have been canned halfway through production. Yeah. But to, but I, I can't ever remember, and I and I, I tried to do a little bit of a check. It's, yes, there were, there were plenty of films that have been pulled, plenty of films that have uh, uh, are still somewhere in a vault, but I can't ever remember a, a movie of, of this kind of scope and, it, and so recognisable that has been more or less completed and then yep. potentially is, is going to be destroyed. It, it feels unprecedented. Warners are basically struggling to be able to afford to release films. And as a result, there's now been delays. Once again, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom has been shunted again. It's now coming out December the 25th, 2023. Now, this is a film that was supposed oh, really? to be out by now. Yeah. And now it's been put back another year and a half. As a Shazam 2. Yep. Shazam 2 has now taken the Aquaman slot. Now, Shazam 2 was supposed to be out for Christmas this year. But apparently Warners can only afford to release two more films this year. And so uh, Shazam Fury of the Gods has now shunted to March the 17th next year. James Wan has reacted to the Aquaman and Lost Kingdom move. He's he's tried to take a positive spin on it. He said that he's a bit su superstitious and he loves that it's a December release like the first one. Because the first one came out at Christmas and did 1.3 billion. So, you know, it was a huge success. It got released at the right time. And he's shown off some artwork for it. And he's just said that it gives them time to make sure that this can be the film. You just have to wait a bit longer. He's, he's keeping positive about it. He's seeing the positivity of like, okay, we get the Christmas release. That's great. It's ideal for business. But you can't help but wonder whether at the back of his mind, he's also thinking people should have seen this film by now. And this is this should be starting to worry him. Does this mean that they're also going to reshoot around various elements? Very likely. We know that there's the herd factor. Uh, we know that the, with the rejigging of the Warner's un DC universe, 
we don't know whether Keaton's Batman will ever exist within the whole DC universe now. Things are going to get juggled around. What we're still waiting on is the full confirmation of what's happening with The Flash. Now, we know Ezra Miller's started the process of recovery, apologising to Warners themselves, got into help therapy, and, you know, that film should still be coming out. It's so messy. I can't ever remember a studio being in, especially a studio with with the heritage of of Warners, being in this much uh, disarray. Yeah, they're all over the shop. Um, In better news, it turns out that the Evil Dead Rise film which was previously planned to go straight to HBO Max this year, is going to get a cinema release on April the 21st next year, uh, taking over the Salem's Lot remake slot, as that film has now, sadly, lost its release date. Hey, well, talking of of Warners, and just to put uh, another nail in in the coffin of uh, of some of the DC releases, the bad news about the new Batman animated series. Yes, uh, now this is one that we've been looking forward to. It's basically a spiritual successor to... Um, the classic Batman animated series from the 90s, the same production team working on it, but inspired by the more recent film, The Batman. However, even though Warners have said, no, we're not, we're not making it for HBO Max anymore, we're not involved in it, the production is still happening. They're still carrying on with that and various other animated features that were in the pipeline, and they're shipping them around to other networks. So don't be surprised if these pop up on either Amazon, Netflix, <laughs> Wouldn't it be hilarious if Disney pick it up? <laughs> well, well, apparently Disney, from from my sources, Disney are interested. Disney Plus is certainly interested. As who can blame is, them? Is Apple? We, you know as well as I do that there's people out there who don't know the difference between DC and Marvel, and this will just blur the lines even more. It'll be hilarious when people are saying, "When's Batman coming into the next Avengers film?" <laughs> as a result, <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's get into Marvel territory, shall we? Yes, it's finally been announced. Who has taken over the hot seat and is directing the Fantastic Four movie replacing John Watt? Yes, and this will be Matt Shackman. We know his name so well from WandaVision, a director and executive producer. Um, he's Apparently he's in early talks to direct the new Fantastic Four film. The rumours on this have been swirling around for weeks. And, you know, his name's popped up so many times. I think we've mentioned him previously on the yeah. show when we've been talking about like Marvel potential upcoming things. But that means he's going to be replacing No Way Home Helmer John Watts, who stepped away from the project a couple of months ago. Now, one thing that lends weight to this speculation as to whether he's going to sign it is that he was tagged to be directing the next Star Trek film, which would have been the fourth film in the Kelvin timeline. And now he's stepped away from that, citing the schedule clashes because, well, he's just been snagged by Marvel. Of course, this this is a, this is pretty much a dead cert, uh, yeah. even though it's not fully confirmed. I think all these scenarios here are pretty much enough for us to say he's definitely on board for this. And yeah, given what I've seen him do with WandaVision, he's definitely got a handle on Marvel and I can't wait to see what he does with Fantastic Four. Matilda Lutz, Wallace Day and the Umbrella Academy's Robert Sheehan are apparently going to be starring, yes, it's been mentioned for the last two decades, Red Sonja. The adaptation yeah. of Robert E. Howard's Red Sonja character has finally looked as though it's moving forward. People like Brian Singer being involved in it at some point, but now we're getting a take on this with Matilda Lutz playing the red-haired she-devil. Yep, it's penned by Joey Solomon and Tasha Who. Red Sonja, some people will know the books that it was, or the character was drawn from. Other people will simply know the film. Bridget Nielsen was in, yeah. It's not a great film. It's not a great film. 
it's it's very much a film of its time. And as a kid, I loved it because uh, it was that cheesy swords and sorcery kind of era and it worked a treat. But it is one of those characters that deserves such a better representation on the screen and could be really striking. We know that Ant-Man and the Wasp star Hannah John Kamen was previously set for the film's uh, main role, but has stepped aside due to scheduling conflicts. Lutz is now set to play the main character. Day is going to portray her wicked half-sister, Anicia, and Sheehan is going to play Dragon. Plot specifics, under wraps, but expect swords, expect sorcery, expect bloody mayhem. I can't wait. I, d- I, do, I do love that world. I mean, th- the fact that I'm obsessed with like Conan games on the computer probably uh, shows that this film is right up my alley. And you know that I'm looking forward to Dungeons & Dragons as well for similar yes, reasons. Yes, you are. It looks so much fun. Disney Television is on the early stages of development for King Kong, a Disney Plus live-action series tracking the original story of the famous ape. Yeah, because we're getting a Godzilla series, aren't we, for Apple TV, which has already yeah. mentioned that Kurt Russell and his son, Wyatt Russell, are starring in, and now we're getting a Kong series. Yep. Uh, Paper Girls creator Stephanie Folsom Still got to watch that. Is penning the action-adventure drama that will update the classic monster story for a modern age, returning us to Skull Island and the dawn of a new Kong. Um, it will use IP from the original books and the new King Kong novelizations by Joe DeVito. And so it isn't connected to the Kong multiverse films for Legendary and Warners. Uh, James Wan's Atomic Monster label is backing the project with Wan, Folsom, Michael Clear, Rob Hackett, Danny Fester and Mark Manus executive producing. I'm always on board for other takes on things like Kong. I love my monster movies. I always yeah. have done. Big I know monsters. that some of them are quite quite ridiculous and an excuse to see a monster smash something. But who doesn't want to watch a monster smash something? If you don't want to watch watch a monster smash something, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> Quick roundup on some TV news. While we're there, Paul Rudd has joined the cast of the fantastic Only Murders yeah. in the Building for season three. Yeah, we got a little glimpse of that on the uh, final episode. I've still, I've still yet to watch season two. Season one was marvellous. I've got so much to catch up on. Um, it does a beautiful jump ahead on time on, at the end of the final episode to tease okay. the next season and make you go, why is everything where it is? What's going on? Looking forward to this. And I, I, I can watch Paul Rudd in anything. Uh, Kathy Yan, who brought us Birds of Prey, is adapting the sci-fi novel Paprika for a live-action series. And Walking Dead badass Jeffrey Dean Morgan is joining the cast for The Boys Season 4. <laughs> Always a pleasure to see Jeffrey Dean Morgan uh, pop He's up in badass. anything. He's does badass, badass so well. They got their six seasons. They are getting their movie. Dan Harmon has claimed that his sitcom community is finally getting that film spin-off. Oh, great. I love Community. Apart from that one season that no one loved. Yeah, it had that me- meandering season, but then it, it, I think it brought itself back round for the for the wrap up. Um, Alison Brie recently indicated that legitimate conversations were underway about the movie happening, and Harmon has responded to those comments, telling the rap, "I'll confirm what Alison said, which is that legitimacy is here. Conversations and agreements are happening." There's a story. Who knows if we'll end up sticking to it, but it was something that we had to compile in order to take it out and court various venues. And now the negotiations can happen. He does go on to caution saying it doesn't mean it's going to happen soon. I, I really hope they bring Chevy Chase back because he, he was missing. Yeah. His yeah, presence it, was missing once he left. He was he brought, he brought something to it. I know he brought some problems along to the set as well. But yeah, he did kind of suffer without that kind of like spark of antagonism that his character brought. Yeah. He, he said it's not going to be soon. He doesn't know when, or he's even suggested, I don't know if this will actually ever get made. 
but at least the ball is rolling, that there is a script out there and they are talking to all the stars and hopefully we'll get everyone back. Come on, they have to bring everyone back for the for the movie. Can can I just make a segue using Chevy Chase? But you can indeed. landed this week, finally, after years and years of discussions of various scripts, various uh, different incarnations, but the Fletch trailer, Confess Fletch, landed online this week with John Hamm in the role of Erwin M. Fletch Fletcher. It's finally landed. But as soon as uh, this trailer dropped and I watched it, I sent you over the link. It was like, yep, I'm on. Yeah. John Hamm clearly making the the role his own. Uh, he's not trying to emulate Chevy Chase and he just looks perfectly, perfectly suited into it. I'm looking forward to this so much. I'm so, I mean, John Hamm's always good to watch anyway, but in a role like Fletch, I think it gives him so much opportunity to really shine. Yeah, Confess Fletch will be on a limited-only theatrical release and then on digital in the States on the 16th of September and then will be landing on Paramount Plus after that, but there are no words yet for a UK release, but I'm pretty much guessing if it doesn't get a cinema release, it will end up on Paramount+. Plus. Oran Uziel, who gave us The Lost City and 22 Jump Street, is on board to pen the new Ryan Reynolds-led Clue movie for 20th Century Studios, taking over from Deadpool scribes Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick. Is that still a thing? I didn't think that was a thing anymore. It's still going ahead. This is one of those projects that kind of got bounced around and then during the merger of Fox and Disney kind of like got forgotten about, but it turns out it's just getting re- redrafted, and uh, it's still something that Ryan Reynolds is keen to push forwards. He's a big fan of the original film. He wants to bring a modern version of it. Uh, the new take will follow the iconic 1985 film's adaptation of the classic board game, which, you know, they need to be able to match the kind of star presence that that film had, because that film yeah. had, like, Tim Curry, the great Madeline, Madeline Kahn, Christopher Lloyd, Michael McKean, Martin Mull, Leslie Ann Warren, and Eileen Brennan. Yeah, yeah, it needs to be that other ensemble cast of just real great comedic names who can really shine. I'm in for it, mate. It's got Ryan Reynolds attached. Of course, I'm in for it. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a lot of love for the original film. I loved the fact that there was uh, multiple endings. I, I love the fact that at the time that it got released, cinemas didn't know which ending they were getting at each of the cinemas. So different cinemas could be showing a different version of the film. That was classic. That was perfect. If they can emulate that again and just send out random versions with different endings and different killers at the end, that will cause so much confusion on the internet in this day and age. <laughs> People trying to drop spoilers only to find out that they just spoiled a different ending that anyone else seen. <laughs> um, still got a couple of more things. So Universal Pictures has announced that Halloween Ends, the third and final film in the long-running slasher series, will also premiere on Peacock on the same day it releases in cinemas, which is October the 14th. Um, it's only going to be available to those who do the premium paid subscription to Peacock. The ad-supported free version will not carry the film. And this doesn't really... Co- I mean, even though this has been reported as a, as a surprise announcement, it doesn't come as a huge surprise to me because Halloween Kills did exactly the same and it still managed to make $131 million at the box office on a $20 million budget. So they're clearly realising that with horrors, you know what? They're so cheap to make that you can release them on both services at the same time. And I've got no problem with that. I've got absolutely no problem with that. I think that some people like to see horrors in the cinema for that environment that we've spoken about it ourselves. You know, yeah. the feeling of watching a horror film with an audience is so different to home. But there'll always be those people who just won't. And I'm absolutely fine with them sticking to streaming. Horrors don't cost much to make. They make good money back, regardless of what formats they get released on. Whether I'm going to watch this Halloween ends, I'm not sure, because Halloween Kills was garbage. And Owen Teague from It 
The Stand and Mrs. Fletcher has been set to play the lead primate in the first of the next series of Planet of the Apes films for 20th Century Studios. It's happening then. It's, it's, it's finally happening. It's definitely happening. Uh, Wes Ball is taking over the helming duties for the project, which is aiming to begin production by the end of this year. We don't know the plot. We don't know what specifics the next chapter are. We don't know how linked it's going to be to the last trilogy. We don't know whether it's going to be set before them, during them, after them, or it's going to be a whole new take. At this point in time, it's all speculation. But I remember before the more recent trilogy got made and everyone was getting negative going, why are you remaking Planet of the Apes? It's a classic. But everyone kind of forgets that you were all so negative out there because it's happening again. People saying, why are you going back and redoing Planet of the Apes? Get some original ideas. But we got an excellent trilogy last time that this was done. We got a thought-provoking, very reflective trilogy of films of our times. Let's see how this one turns out. Don't doubt the Apes franchise for being able to tap into the public consciousness. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, me too. Um, West Ball previously brought us the Maze Runner, so he's, he, he understands his his genre. So I, I've got to, you know what? I think it's in good hands. Proof yeah. will be in the banana. Final bit of news is just to let you know that Hulu and Spyglass's reimagining of Clive Barker's Hellraiser has got a release date. It, it launches exclusively on Hulu on October the 7th. Now, things that get released on Hulu, they normally go to Disney Plus in the yeah. UK. Seeing a Hellraiser film on Disney Plus is just going to blow my mind. <laughs> well, we, we saw a Predator film on, on Disney Plus, so <laughs> chances I mean, are. Will, will this mean that Disney Plus will also throw all the original Hellraiser films on there, like they did with the Predator one, as like one big package? Because that would be bizarre to be watching such brutal, bloody, deadly mayhem. I, I doubt Disney. that because I think there were so many different hands and different production companies involved with it and a new line cinema, I, I think, released them. I, I might be wrong on that. So I, I, I doubt it, but I can, I'll can i I'll go with your, your odd, bizarre fantasy on that one. I like the idea that um, the female Cenobite is now is going to be a Disney princess. It's a, I, I, I'm going <laughs> to stick with that idea. But um, in the film, a young woman struggling with addiction comes into possession of the ancient puzzle box unaware of its purpose to summon summon the Cenobites, a group of sadistic supernatural beings from another dimension. I, I love the Hellraiser series. I know that the film series rapidly went downhill, uh, but the first two in particular are absolutely great. And I've been hopeful for this revisit of the Hellraiser franchise, especially seems though Clive Barker has been directly attached. And um, Producers David S. Goya and Keith Levine have also served on board it. So there's some names in there that I trust and have confidence in delivering this new vision of Cenobite filled hell. And that, folks, is the news. You're still listening to The Film File, the film show for film geeks, by film geeks. And if you haven't subscribed, the big question is why? If you haven't, all you have to do is quite simple. Even I could do it. Head over to your favourite podcast platform, hunt down The Film File and subscribe. You'll get bonus episodes and more delivered right to your door every day not not a real door a kind of literal online door but you know what i mean to know more about the film file all you have to do is this head on over to twitter and follow us at film file uk head over to other social media platforms if you follow us on there you'll at least get the updates when the new shows land occasionally i will drop in and add additional chat on there or you can email us directly podcast at filmfile.uk with anything to do with film thoughts suggestions queries anything that you want us to talk about on the show fire us an email over if you've got a production of a small film or an independent film that you want us to cast our eye over and do our critical analysis 
We're always up for anyone guesting on the show. So just get in touch. We're just here. We're here for you. And if you want to listen to us on the old radio, well, that's easy too. Tune in every week to No Barriers Radio. That's nobarriersradio.com and listen to The Film File on your favourite radio platform. And if it's not your favourite radio platform, it soon will be. And now it's time for this week's deep dive. We're going to be looking at the 2005, well, should we say superhero film? Should we say comic book adaption? It may be the film you've never heard of. Based on DC Comics' Hellblazer comic book, we're going to be talking about Constantine, starring Keanu Reeves as John Constantine. So if you're a fan of Hellblazer, and I, well, for me, it's one of my all-time favourite comics, then the mention of Keanu Reeves as John Constantine might be sending shivers down your spine because he plays the cynical exorcist with the ability to perceive and communicate with half angels and half demons in their true forms and to travel between earth and hell. Except he's not blonde, he doesn't look like Sting and he's not from Liverpool. So does that make this a dreadful film? Let's deep dive, Constantine. I need to see what you see. You don't want to know what's out there. Hell wants him. You need to prepare. You're trying to buy your way into heaven. What would you do if you were sentenced to a prison where half the inmates were put there by you? Earth needs him. Close your eyes. Whatever happens, don't look. Constantine. And my answer is no, it doesn't. Because, like everyone else, when this film came out, I had my preconceived ideas about it. This isn't the Constantine of the comics. This isn't Paul Bettany, who we all thought should have got the role. He's got an American accent. He's got black hair. But Keanu Reeves delivers that cynical edge. And 20 minutes in, after you've overcome all the he's not Sting, he's not from Liverpool ideas, then he has the attitude of John Constantine. The fact that he smokes all the way through. The fact that he is sardonic. The fact that he just doesn't care about anybody. That's what Constantine is about. And so I've got to tell you, I like this film. Yeah, uh, I'm with you on this. So when the film was announced and Keanu Reeves was linked to it and it was going to take an American approach to it, if I'd have been on Twitter, if Twitter was a thing at that point in time, I'd have been joining the horde saying, ban this sick filth. Um, and, you know, just don't make this, a website. this Constantine not blonde. Now, it helps that, you know, even though he was going through an era post-Matrix, he couldn't quite find that other successful franchise or any successful film to really showcase what he could do. He did some duff films after The Matrix, but I still always have a fondness for Keanu Reeves and always have done. So I was like, well, you know what? I like Keanu Reeves. I'll give him a chance with it. Let's see what he does with it. But I was going in when this came out with that whole come on, Constantine shall be a blonde-haired scouser. And being from Liverpool myself, that's something which, you know, it means a lot to me. And I was expecting to just come out of this film going, meh, I hope they never do that again. But I came out of it at the end thinking, oh man, I want a sequel to that. That was Constantine. Like you say, it captured the essence of everything to do with the character. Yes, he was no longer blonde or scouse, but everything about him was the Constantine that I knew from the comic book, comic book series. Everything was nailed perfectly. But not just with him, but with the whole stylings of the film. Right from that first opening scene with the spear um, tip being found, and then the brutality that follows in its wake, it was just like, whoa, this is quite dark. 
and then it just gets progressively darker and darker and all skillfully helped by not only the direction from Francis Lawrence, but also the cinematography by Philippe Rousselot, who just creates some stunning, beautifully framed visions of both Earth and Hell and all the planes in between as it melds together. The captivating imagery used within this film when characters are introduced, Tilda Swinton's Gabriel character, her, her introduction in the huge archive library. She, I mean, Tilda Swinton just looks otherworldly in a in a in an otherworldly beautiful kind of way, and what a perfect bit of casting for Gabriel. And then you've got you know Papa Midnight was introduced. This is what I love about this film. As a fan of the Hellblazer comics and everything linked to it, we got introduced into the world of John Constantine and a plethora of characters that we'd seen represented within the comic book stories, and all given great casting choices behind each of them. Jaimon Hounsou as a Papa Midnight, marvelous bit of casting absolutely perfection yeah. and then it's hard to pick out who's been my favorite lucifer morning star um in any adaptation of constantine materials or hellblazer materials but come on peter stormer is always someone <laughs> who brings something interesting to a role and here he is manipulative sinister creepy unnatural and perfectly placed for this film. This is a film that I absolutely adore everything about. Uh, revisiting it is an absolute pleasure, and I do revisit it quite frequently. So if you're not familiar with the character of John Constantine, he was introduced by comic book creator, comic book starlet, uh, Alan Moore in the Saga of Swamp Thing, issue 37, as basically a, a walk-on character. Somebody looked like Sting, appears in one frame, and then... John Constantine was born a few issues later. He got his own comic book title, Hellblazer, uh, originally published by DC Comics, and that became one of their very first Vertigo comics. The plot elements of the movie are taken from the run by Garth Ennis, he of the boys, uh, and that run is known as uh, The Dangerous Habits. It's a story arc from the comics 41 to 46, which introduced the idea that Constantine was suffering from lung cancer because he smokes in every single frame that he's in within the books. Uh, and as I said, uh, uh, it was a big leap to see him as this this downbeaten Liverpudlian character to suddenly become Keanu Reeves. But as I said, they got the general sense of who John Constantine is absolutely spot on. Uh, it, it did take time for me to, to, to buy into it. But as soon as you go you know what i'm not going to change it i'm along for the ride it's it's a it's a pretty good film as you said keanu reeves just has that almost sage-like charm to him that runs through each of his films almost he gets away very well by playing messiahs as you said tilda swinton is mm. is immaculate as gabriel uh rachel weiss uh was still kind of building up her career she'd been big in the mummy series and she's pretty good in this not outstanding but that's not who the film centers about it's a pretty good film the effects work is early 2000s uh, a, a lot of very early cgi but i absolutely thought this this charmed me this is as mm. close so far as we've got to a constantine film uh, so much so that it's built up a, a cult following over the years with talks of a sequel and there has even been several sly ways that, that Constantine, the American version, has been dropped into Hellblazer lore. Will we ever yeah. get a sequel? I don't think so. But we did get an interesting TV show, which was a lot closer to the uh, to the way that the character's been laid out before. With regard to the sequel, uh, back in 2019, 
Keanu said that he's very open to reprising the role. And in November 2020, Peter Stormer announced that there was a sequel in the works, but nothing's actually progressed forwards at this point in time. I just want to, once again, before we move on to the TV series and Matt Ryan's approach to it, uh, just go back to the like the visualisation style of yeah. the film. And particularly the, the depiction of hell is so creative. And you can't help but think that the Duffer brothers were inspired by images such as yeah, good point. what was used in here. Because the world around us becomes a vision of hell, as though it's been obliterated by like some great disaster. Uh, and it gives it that strange, surreal thing. The, the shot where the ambulance goes down the road and then it just journeys to hell. And it's just like, that's perfect. It puts you perfectly into there. And it cre- you know it makes you realise that the world around us is hell itself anyway. Stranger Things uses a very similar thing, that the Upside Down, its own version of like a hellish kind of place, is just the same place that you're in, but given a darker, twisted reality around it marvelous visualization like i said you know the cinematography in this is one of the things that captivates me every time that i watch it but moving on to the tv series yeah came out in 2014 scripted by david goyer who's now doing sandman directed by neil marshall and starred welsh actor matt ryan who is about the closest we've ever got and and until the next incarnation of, of john constantine the the kind of the christopher reeve of John Constantine. It was a pretty good series, only lasted 14 episodes. It didn't quite know what it wanted to do. And I think that was more a failing of it being on broadcast uh, American TV. If it had been on something like Netflix or even HBO Max, then I think we could have explored it and it would have felt an awful lot closer to the books. But Matt Ryan has become a fan favourite. He reprised the role in Legends of Tomorrow. He voiced the character in a, a Constantine City of Demons, an animated movie, as well as Justice League Dark and Justice League Dark Apocalypse War. So he has become pretty much the go-to John Constantine. There are talks at the moment of a Justice League Dark series for HBO Max, and there is still talk of a Constantine series for HBO Max. The character kind of lives on. But going back to the film, this was kind of the first real introduction to him. And while it's not the John Constantine that I love, I just see this as an alternative universe where he's black-haired and lives his life in LA. Yeah. If you're a fan of the Hellblazer comics and the character of Constantine, and you've always been put off watching the Constantine film because the changes that you see that were made to the law, seriously... Do yourself a favour and get the film watched because you'll be pleasantly surprised by how well it represented it. And it did it in a way that made it openly accessible to people who didn't know the character. It cast a known actor at the time. It set it in a world that people recognised, but it introduced all those otherworldly aspects in such a marvellous way to make you appreciate the depth of storytelling that the Hellblazer universe can actually tell with regards to tv series i I think it just didn't find its feet on i loved that first season the first episode was very shaky yeah not helped by lucy griffiths who seemed absolutely out of place and was replaced wasn't she by the second episode yeah they decided to when it went to full season they decided to go in a different direction and so they reshot some of her moments in order to give her character a reason for not being present going forwards and it took two or three episodes after that to really catch up But it's Matt Ryan who really kept me on board. 
he captured the essence of being Scouse so perfectly. He was everything visually and manners what the Hellblazer comics version of Constantine was. And over the series, it finally found its direction about fourth or five episodes in. But by that point, too much of the audience had kind of given up. You had to be, a, I think with the series, you had to be a dedicated fan of the Hellblazer series of comics to stay on board and stick it through. So for the general audience, it wasn't as accessible as the Constantine movie. If you want to watch Constantine, Andy, where can we find it? You can catch Constantine. You've got a choice of two streamers. You can either watch it on Netflix or you can watch it on Amazon Prime. So what's what's holding you back? Surely you subscribe to one of them. And that's this week's Deep Dive. We'll be back again next week with another Deep Dive. And now it's time for some reviews. So I know you've been looking forward to talking about Doc. Oh, before you do, I finally caught Grey Man and I see exactly what you mean by those drone shots there's a <laughs> lot of drone shots i've just got to say i didn't love it no i really didn't love it and i had high expectations to it you know these are the guys who brought us four of some of the greatest superhero movies ever i thought ryan gosling was super charming in that lead role and mm. i would like to see the character return i would i do want to see more of him i thought chris evans was a blast but i you know what really annoyed me what really annoyed me with this film is that they they nip down to prague from Berlin in like half oh, an yeah. hour, 40 minutes. <laughs> Not a five-hour drive. As I mentioned in the review, no matter where someone is in the world, whenever it changes location, everyone gets there at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> There's no no sense of the world actually being bigger than a marble. It's just very forgettable. Yeah. And the drone, Except for the drone shots, which you can't forget, no matter how much you want to, because they just interfere and upset the balance of the film so much. Stop using drones to make films. You're not being clever. You're just cheating. Anyway, on to Dog. So Dog, like you say, I was looking forward to this one. Been looking forward to this one since it got released at the cinemas. Didn't get a chance to see it at the cinemas. So, so happy to have the chance to watch it on streaming this week. I've been busting my ass to get my mind and my body back into a good place. I need to get back in the game, sir. You want to get back in the game? Prove it. Sergeant Rodriguez was a legend. Family funeral Sunday outside of Nogales. They want his dog at the funeral. You do this, and you're back in the game. She won't work with anyone. One minute she's good, the next minute she's sending three guys to the ER. What's up, dog? And you're going to go on a little road trip. Easy. What y'all so scared of? Come on out, big <laughs> Channing Tatum's direct audio debut. He co-directed this with Reed Carolyn. Is inspired by his own real-life road trip with his dying dog, Lulu, and it's dedicated to her memory. The story tells of an army ranger named Jackson who's been suffering from brain injury effects but struggles to get by in normal life and wants redeployment. Whilst trying to get redeployed, he's given an assignment to transport one of the military dogs, Lulu, to the funeral of her handler, a member of his squad and a close friend. Once done, he's to further transport Lulu to then be euthanised. Lulu has a history of aggression through years of combat environment training and, as a result, can't adapt to the normal world. In addition, Lulu has to be transported by road as she won't fly without going into absolute rage. Hesitant to make the journey, the offer of redeployment once the task is completed convinces Jackson to set about the task and he sets off on what he expects will be a simple pick-up and drop-off. But over the journey, he grows to learn more about Lulu and himself, recognising the similarity in their war-impacted personas, and reluctantly begins to bond with the dog. The film was pitched and is advertised as a comedy road movie, and whilst there is some lightness of humour at times, it's more a thought-provoking analysis of discovery of self and identity after years spent in the military machine. On the surface level, the film seems to be pro-military, but beneath the surface, 
Whilst it asks for people to show respect and appreciation for those in the service, it also highlights how damaged and broken many serving soldiers become and how adjustment to life outside the forces can be difficult. Jackson finds it difficult to connect with people. His attempts to chat up various women at a bar show how he struggles to either be himself without coming over as a military grunt or blend in by faking interest in conversations he has no knowledge or interest in. Years of service have broken his understanding of basic human interaction, and thus it's no surprise to find that he gets a connection with a canine who's as broken as him. Along the journey, the pair encounter a few characters which will allow them to open up more. There's a spiritual awakening of sorts with various parties, as well as a catch-up with another ex-service buddy who's managed to settle into domestic life and helps Jackson come to terms with his present life and rethink his position in the world. Dog is a simple road movie, which has no real surprises in the story, but is a charming look at broken characters and how you can start the journey to heal themselves. Tatum plays well throughout, and the able support on hand lends strongly to the film, making for an ultimately satisfying tale. I always thought it looked charming. I always had an interest in it. Um, I'm more likely to see it on streaming than I, I would have gone to see it at the cinema. Uh, anything else? We'll move on to Office Invasion. Okay, do we do we have to? This is one that popped up on the streaming services and I looked at and read the description and went, uh, you know what, low budget film about people who work in an office building defending their office from an alien invasion. Could this be Attack the Block in an office? Let's see. Recently, our, our company, company was, was dying, dying. But, but then a new leader was chosen. I want to make one thing very clear. We are not planning on making any major changes. No job cuts, no demotions. Can I get a bloody hallelujah? We will worry about all of that next month. What's the one thing we all need that will make all our problems go away? I don't know, a a load of money. Yeah, exactly. And I think I know how to make that happen. Planning on running into any ninjas today? Look, I would just rather have it than not have it. Uh, 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 I'll let you take the free seat. A sci-fi comedy that landed on streaming with the concept of some workers in an office discovering that aliens have invaded their building and must fight to save the company. The film promises fun and bloody sci-fi comedy from the opening scene but then swiftly drops that to instead flash back to events leading up to the opening moment, which try and fail to provide a satirical approach to corporate life and hostile takeovers, until the film finally remembers it was supposed to be an alien invasion film in the last 10 minutes. This feels like the filmmakers wanted to capture an office space kind of vibe, but without the creative talent or comedic timing of that film. This is a film that thinks it's funnier than what it is, And it's one that you feel sure that the cast and crew were having a riot making it, but they kind of forgot to clue the audience in on the jokes. It runs at one hour and 52 minutes, and it more than outstays its welcome, even before the halfway mark. By the time the gruesome sci-fi aspect teased in the opening scenes comes around, I'd completely lost any care for the annoying and grating characters that we're supposed to actively be rooting for. This feels like a short student movie, that was unnecessarily drawn out to a feature-length film. And sadly, it's the very definition of bargain bin releases. Okay, next. (laughs) Moving on from that one. Now, this is my pick of the week. You need to seek around for your local cinema to catch this at the moment, unless you want to wait for streaming. But where is Anne Frank? 
released across the UK on very limited showings. And it's a delightful animation that takes a new approach to the story that we think we've been told many times before. When you write, who do you actually write to? To myself, of course. I prefer to think of my diary as a girl, a best friend. Her name will be Kitty. Kitty? Hmm, I like it. Come down, Anne. I'm waiting for you. Is he a boy from class? Of course. Who are you talking to, Anne? Up until a year ago, everyone was in love with me. Everyone? It was all so wonderful. Then everything changed. We're leaving. They told everyone we were to blame for all the world's problems. This secret apartment is going to be our hiding place. For every person we welcome is a good chance we are saving a life. You could use those characters in your head. Make them fight your war somehow. This young lady here named Kitty is looking for Anne Frank. Have you seen her? not write this diary so that you could worship her. What is important... Get in the truck. Do everything you can to save one single soul from harm. The tale of Anne Frank has been told many times, but this delightful animation takes a different approach than those that we've seen before in an attempt to bring the tale that should never be forgotten to a new audience. Kitty, the fictional character Anne used to write about in her diary, manifests to life in modern day from the pages of her original book on display in the Anne Frank Museum. Rising up from the early pages of the diary, she's unaware of the events that Anne wrote later on and simply wants to find out where Anne Frank is and why her name is all around the city. As she explores the world around her, confused by the people and places she sees, she has occasional returns to the diary where we flash back to events that Anne wrote about, whilst in the present, Kitty finds kinship with a group of refugees who reside in the slums outside the city, in particular one called Peter, who realises who and indeed what Kitty actually is. The animation style is simple yet beautifully magical in design. The swirling ink that rises and bonds to form Kitty as she manifests from the diary is captivating and the modern day setting is given a charming lightness whilst the flashbacks to Nazi occupation is given the claustrophobic and sinister aspect. The Nazi soldiers here are presented as ghoulish blank faces with long black robes, a striking menace that's ever present. The switching from past to present allows the film to showcase the parallels between the plight of the Jews in hiding during the occupation and the plight of modern-day refugees, themselves also torn away from their homelands due to war, as they struggle to avoid deportation back to a home where they will most certainly meet a harsh fate. The whole film is a marvellous new way to present the tale of Anne Frank, and younger audiences will be captivated by the magical Kitty and her search for her best friend, whilst the older audiences will draw on the, the analogous aspects with the modern world, which a subtle, never-feel-hammered home it's a thought-provoking retelling of Frank's life and quite an emotional impact at times. Where is Anne Frank is a film that I recommend all to see. So that's the reviews. Uh, what else is playing in this, this fairly fallow period that we're going through right now? Well, at cinemas this week, there's 3,000 Years of Longing, which is George Miller's latest film. That's, always worth seeing a George Miller film. Yeah. Uh, there's The Forgiven. There's Spidey No Way Home gets a reissue. There's E.T.'s 40th anniversary re-release. The Star Trek Wrath of Khan getting a re-release. 
And then there's a, if, if, if you've got a fear of heights like I have, this one might be one to miss, fall. But this coming Saturday, and thankfully the show goes out on the Wednesday and Thursday, so this is just in time. Across the UK, it's National Cinema Day. Cinemas across the UK are only charging £3 per ticket for any films that you go to see on Saturday the 3rd of That's cool. September. Expect it to be busy, so book in advance. So get your tickets for anything now. And there's a range of older and new films. Most film schedules are now packed with so many different things. And it's going to be an opportunity, like I said, to see things like E.T., to see Star Trek for a discount price. National Cinema Day in the UK this weekend, which doesn't leave much space for streaming. But we do in the next week on streaming get, finally the UK gets Shameless Season 11, the final season. So I'll get to wrap up my journey with the Gallagher family. And I've loved the US adaptation of Shameless. I've thought it's tapped into what made the British version good, but made it better and more relatable to someone who's not from Manchester. And then we've got, of course, Amazon's Rings of Power. The Lord of the Rings universe is explored in the Second Age and fleshed out with some um, myth, magic, elves, dwarves, hobbits, you name it. It's all going to be in there, and I am there for that. Let's just keep in the realms of fantasy and just do a, a quick recap over the Game of Thrones prequel, House of the Dragon, which has just been granted a second season. So it set two centuries before the time of uh, the Game of Thrones stories, uh, set in Westeros, Targaryen, King Viserys I, Targaryen, Paddy Considine, sits on the Iron Throne. His brother, Damon, played by Matt Smith, in complete Matt Smith relish and full-on charm, is disinherited. Viserys' daughter, Rihanna, is made hair, but there are to be, and this is only episode one so far, as of uh, recording of this, uh, other claims to the throne. And of course, war looms. Andy, what did you think? Talk to it straight away. This this is the prequel series that it was like, well... Do, Do we, we really need a prequel need series? We've said that before over this yeah. uh, over this year. I'm interested, but I wasn't enthusiastic. But now I can't wait to be watching this week on week. I thought all the cast were fantastic. Considine was magnificent in his role. But like you say, Matt Smith, Matt Smith just chewing up every bit of furniture and scenery that he can. Hopefully the Starbucks cups that they used to leave on the set, he's been chewing up. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I thought it looked great. I thought it gave a reason for existing. It's, you know, it, it gave every character some depth in that first episode and some intrigue that I hope to see, I hope to see really fleshed out in the episodes and hopefully seasons to come. We know it's already been greenlit the second season because the viewing figures for this first episode were record breakers, I believe, I for believe HBO. So. The best figures for a new series. And it's had a very good critical response out there from the public and also from the critics. Yeah, I, I, it's the show that we didn't think that we needed, but it turns out that whenever people say like, oh, who's asked for this? You should never ask for a particular thing. You should wait until something's made and see whether it sits and resonates because this made me remember what it was that I loved about Game of Thrones. And I, I, I hold my hand up and say that I still loved Game of Thrones right to the end. I know the final season felt rushed, but I had no problem with the storytelling aspect of it because I predicted all of those outcomes. So it, it clearly was delivering what I thought it should deliver. Just because you thought Daenerys was supposed to be a good guy means that you weren't paying attention for five seasons. Yeah, I, I found it I turned, found it to be similar uh, and also found it to be different. It, it had all the things that one expects from, from a Game of Thrones series. Richly sketched out political intrigue. 
characters who were incredibly complex, the historical allegory side to it. The big budget fantasy spectacle was literally from the first, uh, in the very first scene that, that appeared on screen. I, I wasn't sure that the writing sparkles yet. I'm waiting to see where it goes. It's always hard to judge, um, judge, a, judge a first episode of anything because it has to lay out its stall. It, it has a lot to prove for me, but I thought everything about it was admirable and it was so admirable that I know that I'll be back again to see episode two. It's not escaped the shadow of of the throne yet, but as I said, there's still there's still a long way to go with it. So I, I am in, count me in. I'm just waiting to see where it goes. And that, folks, is it for this week. And as ever, we'll be back again, God willing, for another show next week. But before we go, and we do this every week, let's talk about our neat things. Stuff that we've enjoyed, stuff that we've watched, ate, been to, you name it. As long as it's neat, we're going to tell you about it. Okay, I'm going to introduce my neat thing this week in the style of the neat thing that I'm going to be talking about. Okay, colour me intrigued. Uh, which means I'm going to be playing two characters. So, you have a neat thing for me. Yes, sir, I do. It's called Pitch Meeting, and it plays on YouTube every week. You see, this one guy plays different roles. I like that. It sounds cheaper than hiring multiple guys. Yes, but that's not the point, sir. What he does, this Ryan George, he has two first names. Uh, I guess so. Why does he have two first names? Maybe because that's what his name is. Yeah, but two names is... Sir, I'm going to need to get all the way off my back on this. Okay, let me get off that thing for you. Anyway, he runs through the plot of films in a mock-up of a pitch meeting between a writer and a studio exec. Ooh, running through pictures is tight. That sounds strange and creepy. But anyway, his amusing takes on pictures pokes fun at some of the crazy things that even the best films get away with. Must be pretty hard to find something to poke fun out of every film. Actually, it's super easy. Barely an inconvenience. Oh, really? Yes, you see, sometimes he just has fun mocking the studio exec being all about money and not caring about the story. (laughs) Well, us execs do like our money, so that's fair. Well, anyway, these short videos are pretty much fun to watch and worth checking out over on YouTube, especially if you love movies as much as we do. Well, I'll be sure to check it out, but surely a concept like this won't last too long. Cue splash screen with news reports of how it's almost up to episode 300. Yes, pitch meetings from Ryan George on the Pitch Meetings channel on YouTube. 300 episodes of content of him lovingly mocking film concepts from start to finish. If you've never checked it out, get yourself over to YouTube and enjoy the pleasure of delving into years worth of content. I, I'm with you. I have seen it. I have seen it. I, I don't have the love for it that you do. And I know you've mentioned it many, many times, but I'll, I'll uh, I, I like it, but I, I don't love it. But that's why it's your neat thing. It's my I'm, neat thing. I'm a big fan of comic book writer, Brian K. Vaughan. I've recently read his take on Swamp Thing, which was unique and original. His saga series over image is one of the best comic books ever and and i'm going to put my hand on my heart and 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 just say yes ever uh but i recently picked up his series paper girls which also came out on image comics and yes i know there is a television adaptation which i have not watched yet i've got so much to go through that i I, i'm going to wait but i recently read volume one and volume two of the collected series of paper girls Okay, so it follows uh, the story of four 12-year-old girls who are newspaper delivery girls, the paper girls of the title, uh, set in Stony Stream, a fictional suburb of Cleveland, Ohio. As they are out delivering papers one morning after Halloween, the town is struck by an invasion from a mysterious force from the future, and the girls become unwittingly caught up 
in the conflict between two warring fractions of time travellers. Now, people have said that the series, that when they've watched it, has a kind of a, a Stranger Things sort of vibe to it. Yeah, I get that. The, the comic has a Stranger Things kind of vibe to it. But it all started here. It started with Paper Girls. Uh, the, the comic book was uh, shortlisted for the Hugo Awards for Best Graphic Series and won an Eisner Award for Best Colorist. It's a great comic book. It's a reminder that comics can do things that are fresh and accessible and familiar and have tropes that they can play with. But Brian K. Vaughan is such a sassy writer that he, he does all those things but never misses the emotional themes of any of his books. If you've read Saga, you know what I mean. If you've read his Swamp Thing run, it, it's true in that as well. The contrast between childhood fantastic hoax and what adulthood means and the disappointments with the banality of reality are all and gloriously explored in these books. So if you've only seen the TV series, then please give the comic books a try. As I said, I don't know what the TV adaptation is like. It does have a kind of a, a Stranger Things, Super 8 sort of feel, but from the viewpoint of young girls rather than young boys. And the tone is funny, it's unique, and it's a damn lot of fun. So my neat thing this week is Paper Girls, written by Brian K. Vaughan and illustrated by Cliff Chiang. And that, folks, is us for this week. We'll be back again next week with another film file and where Andy will be back in the house. Andy's in the house. I'll be back in Sheffield. Uh, still very torn about what my feelings are on that. And uh, I'm going to be heartbroken leaving here. Absolutely. I, I mean, not leaving this hotel room. I mean, I'm not going to be... Although, I need to just add... And this is, I thought about this the other day, and it's just an afterthought while we're recording now. When I came here, my very first hotel room that I was staying in was number 421. And this is my very last time in this hotel room, and I'm in 421 again. It sounds like a spooky Stephen King story. It's just like coming full circle for me whole journey here, is that I've started and finished in exactly the same hotel room. I know all the hotel rooms look the same, but it just seems so strange that I'm in exactly the same one for my last trip up here. It's, it's my home away from home, and I'm, I'm, re I'm really going to miss this place. I really well, am. part two of your next great adventure begins next week. And Andy, I know I'm not one of your favourites, and I'm not welcoming your house, but I could use a little attention, please. Well, of course, other than our ramblings... <laughs> I forgot where I was going with that. Across the Yorkshire Moors? I don't know. <laughs> 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 I've still got all my um, Hellraiser trading cards from the 90s. Got a full set. Oh, love it. That's a, it was through the trading cards that I discovered the um, the deleted scenes from Hellraiser 2 because a few of the trading cards had these extra things on the back. It told you, like, this scene was removed. Da, 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 and she's like, there was more? Oh, I, I need that, to see this. I had this. that with Superman. Oh, finding that, you know, before the, de before the days of DVD with extra features, when you just found these little nuggets of information on trading cards and things, and you're just like, mind blown. You didn't realize like a two hour film usually yeah. had four hours of footage before like it finally got to two hours. And they're just like, wow, this is amazing. This day and age, all that magic's lost now. People just find out because like, it, even when a film gets released, they straight away say, oh, you'll get to see the deleted scenes on the DVD release. Lost. All the magic's been lost out of uh, our, <laughs> our childhood discoveries <laughs> of things. <laughs> <laughs> the Star Wars trading cards 
for yeah, the eighties. Yeah, there were a couple of there was uh, loads of shots on there that you're just like, that wasn't in the film. What's that? Yeah, scenes with Biggs. Yeah. So, oh, all that magic. Yeah, the Weekly trading up. cards and uh, advanced previews and things like Starlog. Yeah, uh, gave us gave and, us that insight. That's how we knew. And having to tune into a ITV at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon for that behind the scenes thirty minute special. Yeah. On the making of Empire Strikes Back and things like that, just to go, oh, that's how they make things. Yeah, Magic. I remember, I remember uh, taping the trailer for Batman, and it was on. It used, to be, it used to be on a thing that used to run trailers. That's all it did. It was a trailer yeah. show in American Import, uh, and used to sit waiting for to see trailers of films that were, that were coming up. The first time seeing seeing uh, uh, Michael Keaton's Batman and seeing Val Kilmer and, and seeing Robin for the first mm. time and, and being so excited. And then we saw the film. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what a, what a, what a sad, sad indictment. But anyway, (laughs) here we go. 